in your life, uh, your biggest challenge will be, uh, are you ready to meet and allow the Lord to do what he wants to do in your life? Many times the Lord wants to do more than what we desire or what we can even imagine. And so the best thing to do is just to completely give yourself to the Lord so he can do everything that he wants to do in your life. We are teaching on Christian leadership. This is lesson two. Uh, we did lesson one um, the first Thursday in, or maybe the second Thursday in January, because we had a snow um, situation the first Saturday in January. And so here we are. We're on lesson two of Christian leadership. I believe it's essential uh, to to take in consideration these teachings. Remember, I told you that uh, Christian leadership uh, can be um, used in the kingdom of God and Christian leadership can also be beneficial in the secular settings. So when we have Christian leadership in our arsenal, we'll be great leaders. Um, Daryl, you're a leader in where you work. Most of us here are leaders in some capacity in, in, in where we work, and that's great. But if you want to flourish in where you work, um, I, I guarantee if you can apply some of the teachings that we will receive um, according to the Word of God, we will be really, really good leaders to the point where we will have great influence on the people that we are leading and even those that just surrounds us even those that surround us. So I've always, I, I've, I've contributed my professional career to biblical teachings that I've applied. Uh, I think I could not have accomplished the amount of leadership um, responsibility that I've um, been afforded in my corporate job if it wasn't for what I've learned in the kingdom of God. And so I know what I'm saying when I say Christian leadership, um, it, it transcends every leadership and it is the best kind of leadership that you can have and demonstrate because you can utilize it in any setting, any setting, and you will be fantastic. So let's go over some of the things we talked about from the previous lesson. Again, everything I tell you tonight, everything that I've been talking about in, in this lesson will, will be straight biblical uh, teaching. It will not be any of my, um, anything that I'm putting into the equation anything that I'm, I think it will all be the Word of God. And one of the things that you will garner from this teaching is that if you just look at things um, and take your emotion out, then you, you just have to deal with God's Word like that sometimes. Sometimes we try to um, intermingle God's Word with our emotion and um, that's where we lose out a lot of times because a lot of times our emotion, our viewpoint does not agree with God's word. hope we understand that. Most of our emotion, most of how the ways of, of man does not agree with the word of God. And so if you receive God's word with a whole lot of emotion, then there's some of it that you will reject and not really realizing that you're rejecting it. But you will because your, your emotion says something different than what the word of God says. So let's try to receive this word, not with our emotion, but just thinking squarely on what God is trying to say to us. We've been talking about 
uh, the topic of uh, what we've been talking about is because we're his, because we're his. And it's um, it's a teaching that um, Raymond Woodward, pastor from Canada, uh, great man of God, great teacher. Um, he is in the uh, a part of the United Pentecostal Church International, and he has shown himself just just thorough when he teaches. He does a lot of research and he studies well. And so we can know that whatever he uh, uh, put out, it, it will be sound. And so we've been uh, using his teaching to teach us about because we are his. So that's what we've been talking about because we're his. I will say this. I never forgot um, years ago I got a job at Burger King in Princeton. Burger King used to be in Princeton. And I, I man, that was just like you couldn't. There was nothing better than that to me as a high schooler. And you working at Burger King, and not just any Burger King, the Burger King in Princeton. You were proud to put that uniform on, and you were like, "Man, I'm working at Burger King in Princeton," and I had the uniform on. And so that I can always remember that it was such just a, a highlight to me as a young person getting a job at Burger King in Princeton wearing the Burger King uniform. And I mentioned that to say this, that if we are going to be leaders, we're going to have to look the part. If we're going to be leaders, we're going to have to look the part. People will go to people who look the part. I went to the hospital with my mother, my grandmother yesterday to get some things done. And as I was walking through the corridors of the hospital, Every time I see a white coat, I look over and see if it's a doctor. Just trying to prips over to see, is that a doctor or just somebody regular wearing that white coat? But the point is, wherever you go, there's been many times I'm in uh, um, some kind of store and someone walk up to me if I'm dressed in a shirt and tie. They walk up to me and say, excuse me, do you work here? Why? Look the part. You go someplace and you look the part, people will think that you are somebody that has something to do with that. So the same thing with working at Burger King. I couldn't work behind the counter if I didn't have my uniform on because then they wouldn't believe that I'm legitimate. But when I had the uniform on, they look, oh, okay. And it's just, just, just the way it is. You have to look the part for who you are. Can't get around it. So whoever you say you are, that's what you're supposed to portray at all times. So you got to look the part. So you can, again, get your emotions to say, well, why do I have to do that? I have the knowledge. I know what I'm doing. You can, that's emotion. That's emotion. Because tell me a place where you're in leadership and you don't have to look the part. You have to look the part. So if you're going to lead, you got to look the part like a leader. There's no place that I know that's worth anything that you go and the leader is not a little bit distinguished. All right. So let's go over some things we talked about uh, when we first uh, started this teaching. Let's do some review so we are um, caught up and we know what we're talking about. We talked that uh, about that there are current trends making the rounds in church growth theory in that we must constantly change the church so it can relate to our changing society. We mentioned that. Hence the recent excess of seeker services and user-friendly congregations. Never mind that our society is obsessed with self-polluted by 
self-polluted by immorally repulsed by commitment and smug in its new tolerance, one that tolerates everything except biblical absolutes. So what that means is our world tolerate a lot of things, but when we start to talk about Christianity, when we talk about the Bible, it doesn't tolerate that. And so you'll realize that You know, we will allow people to express themselves about however they feel because we say we've come a long way. And so we we now allow people to speak freely. You know, social media says that you're allowed to express yourself. And we allow people to express themselves all the time. But as soon as you express Jesus Christ, him crucified, holiness, righteousness, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if you noticed that. So we're almost moving to the point where everything is acceptable to discuss except the word of God. That just make, that that makes me know how the word of God really is the word of God. Because you see nobody really likes to agree with the word of God because it's it's contrary to how we live our lives. It's it's different. And and if I can if if I can tell you tonight what I've said earlier, the, the one of the main thing you got to lo- learn about the Bible is don't allow your emotion to be a part of you receiving the Word of God. I think that's very important to how you embrace God's Word. You have to take your emotions out. If you allow your emotion to stay in, uh, when you hear to receive when you hear the Word of God. You, you will find yourself dismissing some things that is absolute truth according to the word of God, but you allow your emotion to get the best of you. All right. We talked about how as ministries and movements are built on human innovation rather than uh, biblical instruction. So we see a lot of churches, uh, you know, we we are coming up with inventions and and innovative things to to try to uh make our churches grow and try to you know adjust to what we would probably say uh people would be comfortable with man i thank god that i've allowed myself to be around the right people that's always been convinced about this truth and will not let up on this truth because i've made up in my mind and for me, this is big. I don't know about for everybody else, but for me, this is big. What's big? Again, I like to make sure people are okay. I try to do my best to make sure people are okay. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to the word of God, it even drives me a little crazy. Why? Because I know sometimes I have to say the truth, what the word says, and I know people are not agreeing with it. Which, which brings a conflict for me because I never want to tell you something that you're not in agreement with. I don't like to tell you anything that I know is going to challenge you to 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 want to dismiss it. I don't like to tell you anything that makes you feel like I don't want to hear that. But nevertheless, this is not my business here. This is God's business. This is the kingdom of God, and so I tell it to you anyhow. So we have to receive God's word without our emotions being involved at times, and we have to realize it's about God's business and it's not about man's business. Now, We also talk about this. Does holy, well, let's say it this way. Does the Holy Ghost affect the outward appearance of the vessel he chooses to dwell in? 
So, in other words, the Holy Ghost that is within us, does he affect just the inside of the vessel that he's in, or does he affect the outside as well? You just made a big statement. So there's some kind of way we have to realize that when someone is holy on the inside, you will see it on the outside. A lot of times, listen, you guys say amen and, and sound enthusiastic about that, but I'm trying to tell you, our world is saying, I'm holy, but don't judge me by how I look. That's, that's what our world is saying, because we've allowed so much liberty that people feel like they can do whatever they want and justify it. So I, I thank God that you all are responding the way you are by saying, sure. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people, Christian people, that's saying, what, what was, what's wrong with the way I look on the outside? So the bottom line is, if we say we're holy on the inside, then it should come out on the outside. It's important. So our parents do matter. So we talked about that. We also talked about that one of the reasons why we don't get to see uh, why some people are not convinced by the word of God, their emotion gets involved, and, and, and they begin to say that looking holy on the outside is too burdensome or embarrassing. That's one of the reasons why people fight holiness. They say it's too burdensome or it's embarrassing. I just want to run outside and look a certain way. You're telling me I have to watch what I put on to go outside? That's just too much. Well, that's your emotion. It's not the word of God. God wants us to always represent him the way we're supposed to represent him. And so it's not about anything that's burdensome and it's not, not about embarrassment. We have to realize what God owns, he expects it to be set apart. And if God dwells in you, if God died for you, and if you embrace him as Lord over your life, then guess what? He expects for you to be different. Remember we talked about Samson? Man, I can talk about Samson for the next month. I need to get into that where I can just keep talking about a subject, teach it in series. Because that Samson thing, that's heavy. That's heavy. Samson was called and sanctified by God to live a certain way. Because he was brought into this world to do something that nobody else was going to do but him. And if only he was going to do that, then he had to live differently from everybody else. And the big thing I brought out of that is Samson is no different from me or you. He just had a different job. What God brought him into the world to do is different from what he brought you into the world to do. But God brought all of us into the world to do something special, which means we are set apart to do something for God. If God set us apart to do something for him, we can't be like everybody else. We can't. All right. Remember we talked about the reason why uh, some people started, um, I don't know if you want to call it, playing around with um, the word of God concerning holiness. It, it was a deacon by the name of Nicholas. He was a deacon in the church in the book of Acts. Nicholas was a deacon living the lifestyle, doing what he was supposed to do. But at some point in time, Nicholas backslid. 
stopped doing what he used to do. And now he started teaching an erroneous doctrine about that you don't have to look holy on the outside because God has given us liberty. And that doctrine infiltrated the church, and that was in the Bible days. And it infiltrated the church to the point of many people started following that way. And now we find ourselves uh, in the book of Revelation. You'll see in Revelation uh, chapter 2, 14 and 15, where it talked about John compared the Nicolaitans to Balaam. The Nicolaitans is the doctrine that Nicholas started teaching. That deacon that was a part of the true church and living right, all of a sudden now he backslid and started teaching something different from what he had originally learned. And so in, in, in Revelation it talked about uh, John compared the, the Nicolaitans to, the, to Balaam in the Old Testament who cast the stumbling block before the children of Israel. Balaam was unsuccessful in cursing Israel from without. So when Balaam got mad and this, when, 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 when Nicholas got mad, he wanted to get everybody to follow him because he felt like his way was better than what he had learned. He wanted people to follow him. And when people didn't follow him, he had a, a, a attitude about it. And so he planted his doctrine and started getting people to follow him, but not everybody followed him. Just like Balaam. Balaam wanted to destroy or curse or get people to follow him and nobody followed him. So what the devil know about us is that when we're locked in and following the word of God, the only way to stop us is to get us to start the fight within us. We, we never seems to understand the Bible says a house divided within itself, a kingdom divided within, when it's within itself can never stand. It will fall. So the devil now know when you're sold out, he realized the only way to defeat you is to get trouble stirred up on the inside. And if you start rumbling and doing the things wrong on the inside, then you will destroy yourself. And he won't have to do anything. So the devil knows that, that you know what? I can make my work easy if I can plant something among you all. So you start fighting with each other. And then now you start cursing one another. And now you break up the team. And now this is all happening. He's saying, good. They do it on their own. My job is just to plant that doubt, plant that seed of evilness among them so they will mess up their own self. And that's what Nicholas did by inventing the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So we talked about that. So always look for, never allow yourself to be the one to disrupt what's going on on the inside. Don't put yourself in that predicament. Because we'll talk about abominations. There, there is scriptures that talks about abomination. We'll go through all of those that God deems as abominations. And so it's important to look at those things and says, all right, I don't want to be the one to cause dissension and separation within the body of Christ. So let me make sure I do the right thing because I don't want to cause that separation. And so let's look at the meaning of holiness. The meaning of holiness. We talked about that. Just want to bring it back to your attention, the meaning of holiness. So 
In 1 Peter 1 and 15, the Bible says, But as he which had called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So God is telling us that we need to be holy because he is holy. Now here's the trick with that. None of us are born holy. None of us can be holy on our own. It's only the holy God that can make us holy when we connect with him. So he's telling us to be holy, but the only way to be holy is when we connect with him. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? So, here is the skinny on holiness. The meaning of holiness is very simple. Holiness usually means uh, separate or set apart. Holiness means you're separate, you're set apart. You're not being tarnished by anything. You're separate, you're set apart, you're different. You're not like everything else. Right? Just think about... I don't know. I, I like to use, you know, because I've realized that's kind of how the Bible works. But I like to use a lot of natural things to bring some understanding. Now, I don't know about you when you wash, when you when, when your kids are bathed and you clean them up. Usually you do that and put them in their bed. You don't want them going around doing anything else because you're clean. So when you're clean, just be over in the clean area. Take your bath and just go in your bed. Be clean. So we understand we've always demonstrated that clean stay among clean. Well, holiness is that you've been set apart. You've been cleaned up. And God set you aside so you can stay clean. But here is something that you want to really think about when you understand holiness. Holiness means you are withdrawing Unto something else. You are withdrawing unto something else. So a lot of times what trips us up as people is we feel like, okay, we need to be set apart. We need to, we need to be separate. But if you stay separate, if you're separated, but you never cling to anything else, then, then you can't be holy because just being set apart is not enough because remember, we can't make ourselves holy. So the only time we can become holy is when we join unto the Lord. So that's how we experience holiness is when we separate unto God. So we separate ourselves from what we were connected to and we join ourselves unto the Lord. That's what makes us holy. And we can't be holy any other way other than connecting with God. Make sense? Holiness is not a means of earning salvation. We can't just start to look a certain way and think we're saved. We, we can't look a certain way and say, well, since I've been looking this way, I'm set apart, then I'm living right, then I'm saved. No, no, no. The way our holiness work is when you get saved, that's a result of you being holy. When you get saved, that will result in you being holy. 
But you trying to look like you're holy without being saved don't make you saved. I don't know if I'm clear on that. Is that clear? Because what happens a lot of times is because holiness can be burdensome, because holiness can be embarrassing, we look around and see others that decide that I'm just not going to be holy. I'm not going to look holy. And so we see that and we begin to challenge us with we, we begin to get challenged within ourselves and say, well, they're not doing this and they're not looking like this. But remember what I said. Holiness is a result of you being saved. So when you look around and you see somebody looking a certain way, they could be unsaved. We all can play a part. We all can play a role. But people can be playing a role. And you looking at them comparing themselves to you saying, my goodness. You don't want to compare yourself to anyone because they could just be playing a role and not be saved. And you might begin to do what they're doing and you might now backslide because you looked at them and says, why aren't, well, they might not be saved. <laughs> Did we stop to think about that? They might not be saved. No big deal. So we just keep on going. Um, let's see here. Let's look at some other things here that we're trying to review from the last time we were together. The last time we were together. We talked about that it seemed like women had more requirements from God to look holy than men do. We talked about that. And God probably don't want you to look at it as more, but different. Because women and men are different. So because women and men are different, we're going to have different requirements from God because we're different. We talked about that. We talked about men are stimulated by sight. This is why Jesus says, whosoever look upon a woman and lust after her had committed adultery in, had committed adultery with her already in his heart. That's Matthew 5 and 28. So God clearly let us know that men look and they look and they get stimulated from what they see. We can lie all we want, but that's a fact. God is teaching us that men get stimulated from what they see. Can't say that enough. That if you're a woman and you're married, stimulate your man. That he want to see more of you and nobody else. Because men get stimulated from what they see. On the other hand, women are stimulated by touch. Either a physical touch or an emotional touch. This is why Paul gave a different command concerning women. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. So we talked about that. That That's why it's important uh, that woman be careful how you hug a man. Man be careful how you hug a woman. Because stimulation can take place. Can I just throw this in here a little bit? Don't deal with a situation because of who you are. 
deal with the situation because it's right. Oh, please. Anybody can touch me. I'm not stimulated that easy. I'm just saying. So because you don't get stimulated that easy, you don't care. I can just, I can hug anybody. It don't stimulate me. Well, have you stopped to consider the other person? That they could be stimulated and you don't know. So we can't always deal with, we can't do what we do or not do what we not do because in our mind, well, it's not a big deal to me. Okay, good. That It's not a big deal to you, but consider somebody else. This is what, this is what Christianity is about is we are supposed to live for God. Yes. And do all that we're supposed to, but we're in this for each other as well. And if we start living for God selfishly, we're going to get caught up in our own stuff. You can't live for God selfishly. And and you having an area in your life that you're not struggling with don't mean you're supposed to treat others like, hey, they need to get over it. Why? Because you're not struggling in that area. They need to get over it. You might be struggling in the area that they're not. And so don't treat people like, you know, too bad. It's not my fault why you're struggling with that. No. Help your brother. Help your sister. In whatever way you can help them. You need to help them. So men and women might seem like they have different requirements as far as holiness is concerned, but God made it that way. He did it purposely because men and women are different. Sister Banks posted something the other day. She said, when, when, when God created women, men was asleep. Well, she's a woman of God. It's truth. Exactly. That was, that was a play on words, but it was accurate. God put the man to sleep and pull out the woman out of his ribs. So when God was doing the work of a woman, so it means men don't know a lot about women. They're different. They was asleep when it happened. I said, look at Sister Banks. I, I'm not messing with her. That was very good. You know, you know, people are always posting stuff on Facebook, but every once in a while you see a couple of things, you say, whoa, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. How can I develop internal holiness? We talked about that. It's your relationship with God that will help you uh, develop spiritual internal holiness. Remember, holiness always turned out to be a maturity thing. If you're maturing in God, the more you mature in God, the more holy you become. Because it means you get closer to God. The closer you get to God, the more mature you become. The more you know somebody, the more you know how to deal with them. The more you know what they want. So when you see someone doing good and holiness, it means that they should have a pretty good relationship. And let me, I just have to keep on saying there's always some, um, somebody that's doing different. And so there's always an exception. Let's not look at the exception, but look at what the rule really is. Don't look at the person that's living in the exception of the rule, but look at what God is saying. So, women, yes, God has given you, seems to be, some more requirements than the man, but that's just the way it is. Nothing you can do about it. But man has some requirement too. Uh, while women is commanded to appear a certain way, so that the man is not stimulated, the man is commanded to act a certain way, so the woman is not stimulated. That makes sense. 
Listen to this. The subject of holiness in dress, in your attire, is sensitive because it touches what many people treasure most, their pride. I'll say that again. The subject of holiness in dress, in your attire, is sensitive because it touches what many people treasure most, their pride. What we wear is very much a part of who we are. You can't get away from it. We just got to start dealing with God's word as God's word. God said it, which means it's truth. Let's not live in denial. And the word of God is clear. And I'm going to get into that tonight. The word of God is clear that clothing, apparel, Really is, it's, it says something. I'm, this is part of what I would say. Your apparel, your clothing, your apparel and your clothing, without you speaking verbally, is the next thing that speaks for you. <laughs> so when you show up somewhere and you don't say anything to anybody, they start to Figure out who you are by what you have on. You can like it or not like it. It's just the way it is. Whether you like it or not. I made, I made the example of this. You don't see it around here too much. But I remember years ago, young boy, me and my friends drive to New York and you would drive through certain places in New York. And when you got around to the prostitute areas, you knew. How did you know? The way how they were dressed. Why are we trying to fool ourselves when it comes down to dress? Why are we trying to play games with ourselves? Because we knew that if we drove by a certain area, we're going to see in the middle of winter. We're going to see people dressed a certain way. And that's how you will know if you want to go spend some money for that kind of action, that's who you're going to call. We knew that. So your dress says something about you. You're, you're sending a message with what you look like. You can say it. You, that's true or not. I'm sorry. It's part of your personality. It's sending a message. When Brother D put on his tuxedo and had his sneakers on, he was sending the message. This is who I am. I don't know what that message altogether is, but it was a message. So, Let's start to understand that if we're going to be a Christ-like people, if we're going to say we're holy, then can we send that message? Are we going to send that message when we roll in? Oh, okay. Yeah. Or are we going to send the message when we walk in that somebody has to come over and talk to me and says, and finally I say to them, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, really, are you? Because that's just the way it is, whether we like it or not. Dude, if, if I'm a man and I come in here, I tell my wife all the time, I still got nice legs. She know it. But if I come in here and I've got on some nice tight shorts, some John Stockton shorts. <laughs> some of you know who I'm talking about. You know, I have on some John Stockton shorts and a tank top. And then I sit down. You, you're not going to believe I'm a Christian. Tell the truth. And a preacher? Oh, come on. Please. 
You know you won't think I'm a preacher if I come in here in some John Stockton shorts and some sneakers and a tank top and I'm just chilling and I'm and, and I didn't start preaching or anything. You know, I come up here like that's the preacher. So we got to stop playing games with ourselves when it comes down to being holy from the inside that work towards the outside. We can't do that and lie to ourselves. We got to be truthful to ourselves and say, you know what? If I'm a child of God, if, if I'm a, if I'm the temple of God and God is working in my life, then I need to look the part. I need for somebody to look at me and says, okay, he's not like everybody else. Okay, she's not like everybody else. And so that gives me an opportunity for them to come over and says, are you a Christian? That's the next thing that you got to realize about this. We're supposed to be witnesses for Christ. And I think the easiest way to be a witness is not looking like everybody else. If I look like everybody else, come on, again, if you go on a ship, you're not just going to walk up to a stranger and start asking them questions. You're looking for Captain Steuben or Isaac. Y'all don't know about love boat, my bad. But you're looking for somebody that, that wears a uniform. So I want somebody to look, for, look around and say, oh, he looked like a Christian. They might not think it right off the bat, but at least let me just make sure I do it so the opportunity will present itself. Yes. Clothing is very significant in Scripture. Clothing for modesty's sake was instituted by God. Let me say this. There is a difference between standards and biblical teachings. Here is standards. Standards for church would be should a lady wear her dress to her knee or to her ankle? That's a standard. Because when God clothed Adam and Eve, he fully clothed them. So a church could determine, and this is important, listen up. A church can determine, we want to keep a standard that all the ladies should get dressed where they wear their dresses and skirts all the way to the floor at their ankle. That's a standard. The pastor might want to implement that standard. Here's what you all got to know. And where it comes down to, are you going to trust the pastor to institute certain kind of standard? The pastor's praying and God put into his mind, there's a, there's, there's a sexual promiscuous spirit that's moving just, just crazily in your town where your church is. Make sure the women really put a lot of effort into covering up blah, 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 blah. Where, where's that in the Bible? Nowhere. But if God is showing the man of God or the woman of God something, he's going to say, ladies, this is not what the Bible is telling us, but I heard from the Lord. And I felt impressed by the Spirit that you all need to dress a certain way. Cover, let your dress and let your skirt go low because there's just the bad sexual perversive spirit that's moving throughout. That's a standard. But biblical requirement, according to the word of God, when God dressed Adam and Eve, it came down to their knee. So remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they put fig leaves, fig leaves, fig leaves, 
And God was like, no, 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 you're not leaving the house like that. And he killed an animal, and with the skin of the animal, he clothed them. With sleeves, came down here, and come down the knee. They were fully clothed. We'll talk about that a little bit. They were fully clothed. So that's what the biblical teaching is. When you are dressed properly, you're supposed to cover up properly. As a matter of fact, the scripture went and said, when they knew that they were naked, they were ashamed and they hid themselves. So nakedness should result in being shameful. And when you're walking around naked and you're not shamed or being ashamed, then, then God is not working. Nakedness is supposed to be shameful. And we've allowed the devil to convince us, show little boobs here, show little legs here. It's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. I got to be honest. Ladies, you got to know this too. Fellas, let me know if I'm right. If a woman come into the place and she's showing a little extra, you're thinking differently before you was married and all that stuff, fellas. If you looking around and you see the one with the most flesh showing, the message to the man is she might be easier than the rest of them. Am <laughs> I by myself? I'm just saying, when we weren't married and we weren't looking and we weren't trying to be committed, and we went into a party or we went into some kind of event. The woman that's showing the most flesh is going to get the most attention from the man. True or false? Yeah. So, so, so you get the most attention. Now, here's the story behind that. I think the women know it too. And here's what the woman is doing, playing the game. I'm going to show enough skin to get the attention, but I'm not willing to give anything up. You see the game that's being played? But all of it is what kind of game? It, it, it's, it's a dangerous game that the enemy is right in the middle of that. Woman is saying, I'm going to get some attention. She dressed the way she had to dress to get attention. But she's not in the game of really wanting to do anything. She just want to get attention. And the man, remember, he gets stimulated by his eyes. He is not playing around. He wants something. So I go. So we have to understand what it's all about when we're talking about nakedness, shame, dressing modestly. It's very important to God. It's very important because we're trying to be a witness. All right. Let's move down and look at some other things here we talked about. And now what we're getting into. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So here is some things that you will notice about clothing in Scripture. Wearing of proper clothing is commanded by God. That's talked about in 1 Timothy 2 and 9. 1 Peter 3 and 3. So wearing the proper clothing is commanded by God. Those improperly dressed were prohibited from the king's presence. So, if you were improperly dressed, you were prohibited from the king's presence. A change of clothing was required to be in the royal presence or in God's presence. 
So you will notice that you, you, you can be in God. In order to come into royal presence, I never forgot reading the story of Joseph in the Bible when he was down in a dungeon, right? And because he was down in a dungeon and he was all messed up and had on certain kind of clothing, when, when, when the baker, or was it the butler, when the butler, when the butler went to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, I met a man in prison. And he can interpret dreams. Pharaoh says, send for him. But he couldn't go in the presence of Pharaoh until they cleaned him up. So clothing determined where you go. You can't go in the presence of God with just anything on. And you can't go in the presence of royalty, which God is royalty, without the proper clothing. Yes? Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I didn't say anything about that yet. Um, but here is here is what here's here is what I'm going to narrow down a lot of what you're hearing me saying is. Here's what I'm going to narrow down a lot of what you're going to hear me saying is. What is the reasoning behind what I'm talking about tonight? If we ever get a grasp of what this is all about, it changes our thinking. But if we continue to just try to figure out what's most convenient for us, then we're going to come up with other thinking. So if the thinking behind all of this is, I want to, whatever way I live, in my actions, in my adornment, I am doing it to please God. That's a whole different ballgame than what I should or shouldn't do. And that's how I approach it. I never approached this. Remember, I told you God did this. God helped me in my own way of being without even, I didn't even consult with scriptures the way. There's two things that I did that scripture didn't teach me to do. I just did it. I still, I guess it had to be God, but I didn't, I didn't hear the voice of God when I did it. The two things that I did that I did not get taught in scripture and re- later on I did realize was when I met my wife, and I was going to marry her, I moved her down from Mount Clear to here down in Jersey over across the bridge in Marsville, and I put her in a bed in, 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 a, in an apartment and paid the rent, and I didn't live there. I paid the rent. I didn't live there. She lived there. Because my deal is I want to make sure she know how to cook, she know how to clean, she know how to take care of business. So I moved her down. I drove the truck. We picked the bed up. We came down, moved her in. And I paid the rent. I lived with my mom. Nobody told me that. Nobody didn't tell me that. I just did that. The second thing I did that I realized was biblical, that that one was biblical, because the man is supposed to always show the woman that he can take care of her by making sure he showed that I can take care of responsibility. A man is supposed to do that before he married any woman. Let me show you that I can take care of you. So I'm going to get the place. I'm going to make sure it's okay. I'm going to pay the bills. And if I can do that, then you can trust me to marry me. That's how it's supposed to work. You go back and look how Isaac got married and now they all got married. They went and found a woman. They already had everything taken care of. That was biblical. I didn't know that. I just did it. So I can't even tell you I was smart. I just did that. The other thing I did was got saved, living for the Lord. You heard the story before. 
went to a, a job picnic in July or August, sun beaming down hard, and I was wearing long jeans and long sleeve shirt. And everybody else was in their shorts, their bathing suit, their mini stuff, and their, you know, everything. And I'm in long jeans and long shirt, dead smack in summer. And I was quite comfortable. I didn't read anything. So what I'm, back to where we originally started is, I never try to look holy for any other reason other than, man, I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to represent him. I'm trying to make him. I'm try, I want when people see me, they can come to me and believe I'm a Christian. That's why I did it. Never did it for any other reason. I wanted to make sure I was different because I belonged to God. It's just the way it works. So, so what we should wear and what we shouldn't wear, when we start narrowing it down, I try to stay away from starting narrowing it down. Because at the end of the day, it's all about your relationship with God. I'm just here to tell you the biblical scripture of what God is trying to get across to us as how, if we're holy people, how we're supposed to carry ourselves as holy people. So, I don't think it's anything wrong with wearing long shorts. I'm just not doing it. Yeah, it, it, it's all about individual how they doing with God. So that's that was my deal right there, and you know I don't I don't knock anybody that go long shorts. I just don't wear shorts. I don't wear I don't wear tank top. I can relate to when 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 we say clothing said something about you, man. Because I know, I know. Trust me. I was a I was a clothes I was a clothes fiend. Everything I was doing, as a matter of fact, here is something for you. Being a Jamaican guy, living in America, and I had Jamaican friends and American friends. When I was going to American party, I looked a certain way. When I was going to Jamaican party, I looked a different way. We can play all we want. Clothing says something about you, what you're about. So how you carry yourself in your clothing. It's supposed to be how God is working in your life. How God is working in your life will determine how you dress. All right. Clothing was used to indicate the blessing of a king. Clothing is indicative of personal purity. Clothing is indicative of a repentant attitude. You, you read all the time in the scriptures where it says when they were mourning, sackcloth and ash they put ashes on their head and they put on sackcloth sackcloth is a form of clothing so when you're mourning you put on this 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 type of clothing that if someone came to you and they saw you with those clothing on they said oh they're mourning yeah again clothing have meaning so if you're mourning you're going to have on certain kind of clothing Clothing is used as a type of spirituality. So, again, if you're holy on the inside, it's going to cause you to look a certain way on the outside. Clothing is the identifiable mark of the redeemed in eternity. Revelations 4 and 4, Revelation 7 and 9, Revelation 19 14. Revelation 
principles of Christian apparel. Dress and appearance are important indicator of a Christian character. Some people dress to be admired, pleasing themselves. Other people dress to be accepted, pleasing others. Christians, however, dress to glorify God. Christians dress to glorify God. All right. The moral shame of nakedness. We read that. We talked about that a little bit when we're naked. So the, the less, the least amount of clothes we have on, the more uncomfortable we're supposed to be. Because when you get real down to it and naked, you're supposed to be ashamed. Because that's what happened in the beginning. And to have God on the inside working in your life, it, it should not be where you can be naked. That's man and woman. Again, back to how much clothing we have on us, man and woman, uh, it depends on how much clothing you have on. Should You should be uncomfortable. And that's if God is working in your life. All of this is predicated on how God is working in your life. And so that's how we need to look at it. The most important gender distinction was not simply in what they wore, but in how they wore it. There were male and female ways of utilizing clothing. Firstly, the priests wore breeches, or breeches, whatever you want to call it, under their robes in Bible times. This word does not occur very often in Scripture, but is very, but in every case, it is a man's apparel. Exodus 28:42. Women were not allowed to wear breeches. According to the Hebrew lexicon, breeches means trousers that extend below the knee. The later English word breeches, it was breeches, this is now breeches, developed from this term as did our modern concept of pants. Women in Bible times did not wear crotch garments. Women in Bible times did not wear crotch garments, pants, because of God's disapproval. Thus, pants were worn exclusively by men for the first 5,900 years of human history. It is only in our century that women apparel has suddenly become impractical for women to wear. In trying to argue a positive case for cross-dressing, some point out that every time the word skirt is used in the King James Version, it refers to a man. They're their inane and uneducated reasoning is modern women can wear pants because men wore skirts. However, the Hebrew word kanap actually means the extremity or cover of a garment. When Saul tore the skirt of Samuel mantle in 1 Samuel 15:27 and David cut off the skirt of Saul's robe in 1 Samuel 24:4 they did not rip their clothes off but merely took a piece a corner of their garment 
Secondly, men in Bible times were permitted to gird up their loins while women were not. A man could transform his robe into a closer fitting, less cumbersome garment by bringing the back hem of his robe between his legs and tucking it in into his waistband, girdle. This created a trouser-like effect and was a distinctively masculine appearance. Women were allowed to lift up their hem of their robe to help carry something, but to raise it above the knees or to gird up their loins like a man was considered grossly immodest by God, by biblical society. All right. An abomination unto God. In Deuteronomy, it says, Deuteronomy 22, 5, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto thy God. Okay. Let me get to this. Several things in scriptures, or several things in scripture, are noted to be an abomination unto the Lord. Listen to these things. I love these things because we don't sometimes think about these things. These are all scripture. I'm going to give you scripture. So here are just some things. This is not everything in the Bible that God, God considered an abomination. Prostitution or homosexuality is an abomination to God. Deuteronomy 23:18. Involvement in the occult is an abomination to God. Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. One who divorces a spouse, then remarries them after they have been married to another, is an abomination to God. That is Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. A woman wearing that which pertained to a man, or a man in, uh, or a man in which a woman's garment, that's what we just read, Deuteronomy 22, 5, that's an abomination. Perversion is an abomination to God. Proverbs 3.32 and Proverbs 11.20. A liar, especially one who vows they are telling the truth. That's an abomination to God. Proverbs 12.22. A proud person is an abomination to God. Proverbs 16 and 5. Proverbs 6.16 through 19. A murderer is an abomination. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. A heart that plans to do evil or one who is continually involved in evil. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. One who creates division among brethren. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. That's an abomination. The lifestyle of a wicked person, Proverbs 15 and 8, that's an abomination to God. One who excuses sin or condemns righteousness is an abomination to God, Proverbs 17 and 15. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't ask for forgiveness when you do these things and get it right and move on. Yes, you can repent. Yes, you can ask for forgiveness. But the bottom line is, God really has a problem with people that do these things. So, when we wear the opposite sex clothing, God has a problem with it. 
God doesn't like that. All right. Let's slide down here. Paul says, a woman clothing must be modest or orderly. The word modest comes from the Greek word. We finish at 6.30. The word modest comes from Greek word, kosmios, which means well-ordered, becoming dignified. It describes one whose inner self-discipline and humble attitudes reflected outwardly in appropriate attire. Huh. What a woman wears not only reflect her morals, it affects her conduct and demeanor. Brother Tom said, "Mm mm-hmm. He knew that one. (laughs) Paul's admonition to dress in modest, orderly way strongly suggests that there is no special merit in ignoring personal appearance either, for that draws attention as well. So it's not just what you wear, but your personal appearance, which means makeup, the kind of jewelry you wear. Those are things that, depending on what you're wearing them for, how you're carrying yourself, what they mean, got to look at that. Here, here, here is something that you got to look at, too. God purchased you with his blood when he died for you. And you got to realize the Bible says God is coming back for a church, meaning all of us that are saved make up the church. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. God wants you to be as pure as you can be. He wants you to be as clean as you need to be. He wants you to be as right as you need to be. So all of these things is thus saith the Lord because he's coming back for something that's pure and holy and righteous. He's not coming back for anything blemished. As a matter of fact, if we go all the way back, we'll realize that they never, that they never killed, the priest never killed a lamb for, for an offering for a sacrifice that was blemished. The reason why Jesus Christ was the only one able to die as a sacrifice because he was not. Okay. He's into that. (laughs) Just in case we don't know, he's into that pure thing. He's into that unblemished thing. He's into it because he started it. So all these things that the Bible is teaching us is not because man, it's not my emotion. It has to do with the God that died for you and loved you is saying, I want me a pure people. I want me an unblemished people. I want me a people that is holy. That's the kind of people I died for. Yep. All right. Let's see where we're going here because we don't have much more time. Christian men, there are more external standards in God's word for women than for men. However, the principle of modest decency and restraint certainly apply to your clothing as well. Immodest male apparel may not be as much of a danger to most women as immodest female apparel is to men. However, there is still the danger of temptation to some women. As well in our wicked society, there is additional danger with the rapid spread of homosexuality, 
Remember that Adam's idea of proper covering was not God's was not God's idea of proper covering. So Adam, fig leaves, God, coat. Most of all, remember that God has more internal holiness commandments for men than women. Because God's men need to be godly men even in their apparel. So women requirements seems to be a lot of external things. Again, it makes sense because men look at women and that's how they get stimulated. Men deal is internal. I would that all men would pray, lifting up holy hands. So God is expecting us as men to be so uh, uh, spiritual in the way we conduct ourselves that, that it will keep us and refrain us from touching, from, 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 from emotionally getting involved because we're supposed to be internally right. Ooh, you jumped ahead of me. Listen. All right, let me just go there real quick. Go to um, 1 Corinthians 11. That's just, just where I'm going. We need, to read, we need to read it. Who's got 1 Corinthians um, 11, verse 1? Read it nice and loud for me. Read from verse 1 all the way up to, ver- are we taping? Uh, okay, I got to read that. I don't want to lose, if someone decides to listen to this, I don't want to lose them. Well, I tell you what, uh, make it easy. Get another voice on the recording. Okay. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, it is comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered. Excuse me, judge ye yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. 
That's 16. Thank you. That's uh, for those of you that may not um, know a whole lot about what you just read. That's a debated text um, in, 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 in churches where we, we try to make sense of it, where it talks about uh, woman's covering and all of that stuff and should you cut your hair and not cut your hair and all that good stuff. Let me say this to you real quick. That text was written to establish hierarchy, order, order wasn't written to address some of the issues that we started bringing up because a lot of things that we bring up, it wasn't even an issue. For instance, let me divert just a little bit. There's scripture that talked about a woman should stay silent in church. You, you all ever heard about that? Yeah. Well, when the, when the, when the scripture talked about that, you got to get the background and the background was women and men worship in different areas. So men would worship in one area, still today, if you go to the Jewish synagogue, you would know. Um, still today, and, and when you go to a synagogue, the women usually sit on one side, men sit on one side. They just, it, it's always been a common practice that they don't worship together. They're, they're, they're in different places. So what had happened was, there were some people that were getting converted that weren't, they were still kind of, they, they weren't the affluential uh, Jewish people. So, but, but the word of God started reaching them and they started giving their life to God. And so they would come to the temple where their husband were and, and they would listen in. And what they were trying to do was, 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 was try to whisper stuff to their husband to ask. Because what they were doing was coming into a service and interrupting it basically because the men are having their service and they come over and says, honey, ask the preacher, blah, 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 blah. Honey, ask the preacher, blah, blah, what about this? And they, the whisper became a little louder. So that's when Paul addressed and says, it is preferred that a woman be silent in church. And so we took that and run with it like women can't talk in church. But that wasn't it. It was because they were separate and the women wanted to ask a point. And because it was right that your husband was the one that was attending that service, it wasn't for you to go in that service as a woman that wasn't supposed to be a part of that service. Hey, I got a question. So you would ask your husband, honey, ask him about this. But it got a little out of order. Just like the scripture that talk about talking in tongues got a little out of order. And we miss everything. We, we, we base things on one thing. So it got out of order. These ladies start saying things. And that's when Paul addressed that women be quiet. But it didn't mean women can't speak in church. And that was something you got to realize too. There's, there's some things that are... Jewish brethren did that was custom, not biblical. And so Paul was dealing with custom things so he can teach biblical truths. So you got that. So so here is the whole, you know, veil thing. So veil originated and still is with the Muslims. Had nothing to do with Jews, had nothing to do with Christianity. So when you heard him talking about the covering and all that stuff, it, it was not talking about an actual veil over on top of your head because that was not a custom of the Jews. It was not a customs of Christians. It was a customs of the Muslim. Yes, ma'am.
All I'm, all I'm going to tell you is customs will always um, influence other customs. When we see people doing something, it doesn't mean that that's what they were supposed to do. Just, just like today, different customs influence different customs. We just got to deal with the original, where is that all started from, and the original beginning of veils has nothing to do with the Christian people. It had to do with the Muslims. So when you hear about veils, that was women, as the Bible was talking about, you had women that was following a certain custom that came into the church. They got converted, was following customs, and Paul had to deal with that custom. It wasn't a biblical thing. So Paul dealt with that custom to make sure they know that's not what your covering is. That veil on your head, that's not your covering. Your covering is the leader in your life. <laughs> that, that's your covering. Your covering is either your husband or your father. Man, I, when I got this long time ago, I, I re, because the Old Testament ways of how the world is supposed to operate is a woman would be born into the world under her father's home. Daddy is her head, her protector. And she wasn't going to leave at home until a man come to daddy and says, can I have your daughter in marriage? And dude wasn't getting her until the day of the wedding. So she never was uncovered. It was from her father's home to her husband's home. She was never uncovered. So that's how the woman had her leadership and protection in her whole entire life. And the man's covering is supposed to be the Lord. So a woman would know if the Lord is my dad's covering, I'm not going to marry a man that's not the Lord is covering him. That's what the story was when we're talking about covering. Now, the other part about it is that a woman shouldn't cut her hair. She shouldn't shave. Now, that's that's another thing, because what it represents is uncutting your hair. When you don't cut your hair, what, what it's saying is you are submitted to the authority over you. It, it, it shows humility. So these are things that the Bible teaches that we probably, you know, I'm saying all this to you tonight. I don't, I don't expect this to, 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 you know, just, just see everything change. I'm saying it to you to educate you. And so if you're going to lead and have uh, 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 influence in your leadership, you're going to have to honor these things. You're going to have to abide by these things because here is leadership. Nobody follows you and God will not allow anybody to follow you when you're not following right. See, that's why this is important. So let's say I put you in a leadership position in this church and you're not following any of these that I just told you about. You won't find anybody following you. God will not allow anybody to follow you. And even if somebody's doing something because, you know, you, you know, you know, they want to do something, they just won't respect you as their leader. They will just do just to be doing, but it won't be the real connection with leader and follower. So you can't. Just just ignore God's word and feel like you can lead people and they're going to follow you. It won't work. It won't work. And that's why this is important because I don't want to frustrate you. So if I said, Luke, this is what you're going to be responsible for and you're not doing what you're supposed to do as a follower because what how it all set up is all of us are following someone. And so the, if you want to have influence and you want to be able to really have impact, you have to follow someone. And so if someone know that if God make it work, that if you are submitted to following someone, then he will allow people to follow you. 
You can't have authority unless you are under authority. Nobody can. We say it all the time. The reason why the cops, we stop for the cops when they pull us over because we know who they represent. They, they represent, you know, our whole legal system. It's not just that man or that woman pulling you over. It's who they represent. So it's the same thing with that first Corinthian scripture is talking about authority and how we conduct ourselves. So yes, women shouldn't cut their hair. Women don't need to wear a veil because it was never really uh, biblical teaching. It was customs. And so you can bypass that. You don't have to worry about all of that stuff, but you have to stay submitted. You shouldn't cut your hair. You don't have to wear a veil. Um, 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 your husband is your covering or your dad is your covering. If, and, 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 and if that's not the case, guess what? Your pastor is your covering. Got it all covered. Don't mess with me. Don't put your hand up. I got you. She already put her hand up. Well, what about it? I got you. That's how it works. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's a custom. That's a custom. They made it into doctrine, but it's a custom because they're taking it from the same passage of text we just read. It's a custom that they've made doctrine, but it's not doctrine. It's a custom. Yeah. So it's okay if they want to do it. When custom, when, when people are practicing custom, they need not to make it a doctrine and say, well, you need to do it. No, that's your custom. We respect it. We don't have a problem with it, but that's your custom. I don't have to do that to be saved. I don't have to do that for to please God. You decide you want to, and I'm sure God says, okay. But God didn't require that of us. You wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, what they should be saying is that what they should be saying is, as a woman, you should always have a covering. Your dad, your husband, or your pastor. You can't be a Christian without a covering. Yes, can't be a Christian without a covering. Got to have a covering. Got my coverings checking in on me. I got coverings. Coverings. <laughs> I got coverings. Uh, sister Aisha, go ahead. Uh huh. Well. It, it has to do with our prayer. Um, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, that when you're praying, you know, you can pray and angels can be um, 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 around you. But it doesn't have anything to do with, per se, angels. It's, it's, it's about the right way to pray. Right? It's about, because, because, um, the whole deep stuff, but I don't want to get into it. Your hair is supposed to be your glory. But the glory don't mean the same glory as God. Right? It, 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 it's, it's who, it's what you represent. It's who you are to God. So when, it's, when it says the woman's hair is her glory, it's only saying who you are to God. Not, it doesn't mean because you know glory is a whole different ballgame. <laughs> so, so, so it's not saying that, um, that, 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 you know, it's the same glory. But what it's saying is because when you, you're supposed to honor that and not cut your hair, it, it, it gives you power when you pray. Gives you power when you pray. Yes. That's what that says? Yeah, like, like when the Bible says the word power means 
Yeah. 